How about uh, we give Jesus some praise? And thank you, as always, to our worship team. Fabulous, fabulous job, uh, as always. Um, before I get started this morning, before I get down to, to business, I want to take a minute and introduce you all to somebody. I think we got slides. This is um, Mr. William Kevin Walker, my grandson. And, uh, and he came into the world Friday night, and I got to hold him some yesterday. There you go. Um, yeah, that's a proud papa right there, right? So when he was born, um, one of the delivery room nurses, you know, they count the fingers and toes and do all that stuff. And they told my daughter Molly, he has amazing muscle tone. And I was like, duh. <laughs> but we're very excited and very blessed, and everybody's doing great, and hopefully he's going to be home a little bit later this afternoon. But um, thank you for letting me share that with you all. Uh, let me go ahead and pray for us. Father God, we are grateful. When you make a way for us to come together as family, Lord, and celebrate the blessings that you bring into our lives, I pray today, Lord, that as we hear a message about the importance of surrendering to you, uh, that we receive that message and that it emboldens us to become carriers of your gospel to places that reside outside the walls of this church, that you strengthen us along those, those lines, Lord God. I pray that if there's anyone here today who finds themselves sitting in this room, burdened by some degree of sin or, or burdened by the fact that there's an element of their life that they haven't surrendered to you and it's bringing them pain and misery and suffering, I pray that today be the day that they choose to let that go. So bless this time, Father God. We love you and we lift this to you in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. We're going to be today in Matthew chapter 19. We're going to be looking at verses 16 through 30. If you want to go ahead and, and get, uh, get there. Um, the first thing I always like to do when I'm given the opportunity to be up here is to thank Pastor Zeb for the opportunity to stand before you and share God's word. This is, um, for me, this is always a, a humbling um, blessing, and I'm truly, truly grateful for it. But uh, last week, if you were here, Pastor Zeb shared with us in some detail our developing focus on becoming a sending church. We want to become dedicated like never before to taking the gospel, yes, to our community, but also beyond. We, we want to spread the word that Apex Baptist Church is a family of believers who are all about loving God, loving people, loving all of God's people, and making disciples. And when you think about it, you, you really couldn't come up with a more Jesus-focused directive for us to follow. It is the picture of the Great Commission. So as we, as we move forward in that effort, we need to see that we both as a congregation and as individuals must be totally surrendered to Jesus. And, and I mean surrendered in such a way that personal comfort zones are, are really being challenged. So if you look through your Bible and you zoom in on people called into God's service to a person, you'll find men and women doing extraordinary things that they never saw themselves doing. And the most consistent trait among all of them is how they surrendered to the will of God. Now, now granted, some needed some convincing, right? I know I did. But once that sweet surrender happened, normal folks found themselves doing some pretty extraordinary things. But, but here's the thing with that. If we fail to surrender ourselves to Jesus and to trust 
and his sovereignty and his plan for our lives, then nothing changes. We, we as a church over time would settle into a place of inward focus, and, and that would maybe be okay for people who were, were attending here every week and were comfortable with just sort of maintaining the status quo. But what about the 70 plus percent of people in Wake County who we've been told don't know Jesus? That is a, that is a staggering statistic. And the only way that number comes down is if those of us who know Jesus become better equipped to share him with those people who don't. And what we're called to do scripturally is, is serve in this world as Jesus' ambassadors. You know, ambassadors are sent out to, to support and represent a particular viewpoint. So in the moment that we receive Jesus Christ as our savior, we, in a sense, become one of his reps, right? And with that comes an awesome responsibility, the realization that God makes his appeal to the non-believer through you and me. We, we are today, right now, God's megaphone in a world that is not listening. And that tells us that there's work to do. And that tells us that we need to be louder and bolder and more confident, but not abrasive, not pious, not holier than thou. Remember, one of the keys to this working is our determination to love people, all people. In 1 Peter, the apostle writes that we are to be zealous for what's good, even when it means that we may suffer for it. You know, when you share Jesus Christ with others, you are going to face opposition, right? Not all of the 22 million people living in Mexico City today are rejoicing over the Pagan's efforts to bring the gospel to that place, but that's okay. Resistance is expected, and the Pagan's face it with grace and love and courage and devotion and faithfulness every day. Peter then goes on to encourage us not to be afraid of that opposition, but instead protect what we know to be true. There is never a need to compromise on God's word because it is perfect and it's inerrant. We should be able to share this perfect truth with confidence. But Peter also advises that we must share the gospel with gentleness and respect. And I think what I love most about what Pastor Zeb shared last week is that every bit of what we're looking to do both on this corner and beyond is founded in prayer and a desire to simply be obedient to what we discern to be God's will for us as a church. We are not focused first on, on raising money for construction projects or casting ourselves as a mega church. Our mission here at Apex Baptist Church starting now needs to be fixed on identifying as surrendered servants of Jesus Christ. Amen? I'm glad you agree. <laughs> Surrender is a step that must be taken before Jesus can fully equip any of us to be sent into service anywhere. So prayerfully surrendering to Jesus brings clarity, clarity that allows Jesus to show you what he has for you. So with that, we'll go ahead and we'll get into these verses. Again, we're in Matthew chapter 19, starting in verse 16. Jesus' encounter with the rich young ruler is shared in the Gospels of Mark, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So I'll do a little bit of cross-referencing, and I'm going to warn you in advance that I'm going to do a lot of stop and go working through these verses because there's just so much to think about here. I, I probably should have negotiated the two-week deal with Pastor Zeb. I wouldn't have gotten anywhere, but it might have been worth a try. But... Um, 
But let's go ahead and pick it up in verse um, 16. And it says, And behold, a man came up to him, came up to Jesus, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he, Jesus, said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. So in the Gospels of Mark and Luke, um, their accounts of this moment, the young man actually calls Jesus good teacher. And he asks him, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus, as he, as he does here in Matthew, he challenges him over what his understanding of good is. But Matthew's account is a little bit different because here the man refers to Jesus simply as teacher, which tells us a couple things, meaning he's probably a Jew, familiar with who Jesus is. He's not challenging Jesus in the way that a Pharisee would. He's just seeking insight from someone who he acknowledges is a teacher. But here, instead of calling Jesus good, he wants to know what good deeds he needs to perform to get into heaven. And it's a valid question. And if we're honest, it's one that we have all probably given some thought to. You know, what do I need to do in this life? What good stuff do I need to do in this life so that I can one day know eternal life? And it's not hard to fall into the trap of seeing heaven as an end-of-life reward for having been nice. There are whole denominations out there in the world now that are preaching that message. But Jesus' response is consistent. He asks the young man, why do you ask me about what's good? And Jesus takes care here not to deny or look past his own goodness. I think he's just, again, trying to draw out of the young man what his perception of good is. Is it heaven-focused? Is it world-focused? And Jesus, in this moment, offers up an interesting answer. He tells the man that the key to salvation is keeping the commandments. Now, at first glance, that sort of sounds like a contradiction to, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to the Father except through me. But Jesus is making a point here. And if you look at verse 18... The young man responds, he says to Jesus, which ones, which commandments? And Jesus says, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So <clears throat> here we go. What do, you, what do you suppose when you think about this, this concept of surrendering? What do you suppose is the greatest obstacle we face when it comes to truly surrendering our lives to Jesus? When Jesus lays out for us what his expectations are, you know, what comes to mind almost reflexively? We see it right here. We want to negotiate the terms of our surrender. You look at this young man's response. Jesus says, keep the commandments. And the young man comes back with, okay, Jesus, but I need you to be more specific. I need you to tell me exactly which commandments I need to obey. And you think about how you might approach Jesus at times, especially if it's relating to a struggle, right? And I mean, let's talk big time messing up, okay? You believe Jesus might have in that moment a solution for you, something you may want, something you can, that can maybe get you out of, of the fix you're in. So, so how do you go about getting that help while at the same time putting forth minimal effort and experiencing minimal discomfort? You know, years ago, when, when I was living the life of an addict, I never prayed for Jesus to take the addiction away because I loved it too much. If I prayed at all, it was to ask him to help me bring my disobedience down to a level that he could live with. You know, I wanted a compromise that could make us both happy. So you know, don't get me wrong, I, I wanted salvation, but I wanted Jesus with that to also tolerate my sin. 
So if we go back to the young man, he wants to know, which commandments do I need to give priority to that'll get me into heaven? And Jesus responds with the six commandments from the 10 that speak to interrelational behaviors, worldly relationships, in other words. Don't kill anybody, right? Don't cheat on your spouse, don't steal, don't lie. Be good to your parents, love your neighbor. And those are all good marks that we should be able to hit without too much effort on a good day, right? Well, look at verse 20. The young man then says to Jesus, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. So for a minute, you know, you can almost picture the joy on this young man's face as Jesus lists off these commandments, right? He's elated. He, he's proud. He tells Jesus, heck, I've been towing the line on these things since I was a kid. It's a piece of cake. And he believes he's been living righteous his whole life without even trying. He's, he's seeing himself getting fitted for the halo right, right then and there. But then look what happens. He asks Jesus one more question, the question that in hindsight he probably wishes he could take back. He asks Jesus, is there anything else I need to do? What, what is it that I lack? So here's a good thing to know about your relationship with Jesus Christ. When you ask him what areas of your life you happen to be coming up short in, he's going to tell you, and he's going to show you. And can I tell you that when he does, it may not be a fun day, but Jesus will let you know all about the things you do that make his heart heavy, and not to break you down or hurt your feelings or to humiliate you. Remember that what Jesus wants from you more than anything else is your heart. If there's something in your life that's pulling your heart away from him, Jesus will be faithful to bring that thing to your attention. And again, in my, in my addiction days, I used to pose crazy, poorly worded, short-sighted questions to Jesus all the time. Things like, why are you doing this to me? Why did you make me this way? Why did you let my life become such a mess? As if I had no role to play. Because part of what I wanted back in those days was for Jesus to be sorry for not being the God that I wanted him to be. But fortunately, there finally came a day when, because he was so rich in mercy and for some crazy reason loved me more than I deserved, Jesus showed me that instead of being the God I wanted him to be, it would be so much better if I would just let him be the savior that I needed him to be. So the young man asks the question, what else do I need to do? And two things happen. Mark in his gospel tells us that in that moment, Jesus was filled with love for the young man. Jesus is filled with love for this guy because he knows where this conversation is headed. He loves this young man for his desire to seek heaven such as it is, but Jesus again also knows his heart. And Jesus gives the answer to him straight, if you would be perfect. In other words, if you really want this bad enough, if you really want eternal life, if you really want to know what it takes to get there, then go home and sell the Ferrari and sell the mansion and sell the country club membership, sell the Rolex, sell everything you can. Give all the money to the poor. And then, buddy, for sure, you, you're going to have some major rewards waiting for you in heaven when you get there. And then Jesus tops it off with what is the invitation of a lifetime. He tells him, after you get rid of all that stuff that means nothing, come back, follow me. 
And come help me to teach others how to love God and love people and make disciples. You know, and imagine, imagine being offered a chance to live every day of your life in the physical presence of the Messiah. That's not too, not too shabby an offer. But look what happens. And this, this might convict somebody here today. When the young man hears everything that Jesus expects of him, he goes away. He goes away sad. He goes away sorrowful. Why? Because he's got so much cool stuff. Cool stuff that at the end of the day holds more value in his heart than an abiding relationship with God and the promise of eternal life. So even though he has for sure placed some value on eternal life, it's not enough because sometimes this thing called surrender is way harder than what we want it to be or expect it to be. So it's those pesky other commandments, the ones Jesus didn't mention to the young man, those are the ones that trip us up. They're the tough ones. The ones where we're told not to place anyone or anything before God. That we're not to worship earthly idols so that we can clearly see Jesus for who he is, the way, the truth, and the life. And it's a spiritual battle that we fight every day. I want to go to heaven, but doggone it, I want to be as comfortable and unchallenged as I can be on the way there. And that takes me back to my earlier point regarding negotiating the terms of our surrender to Jesus. Because what we need to do here is notice what Jesus doesn't do as the young man walks away sad. He doesn't get up and chase after him, catch up to him, throw an arm around his shoulder, apologize for being unreasonable in his expectations. He doesn't invite the young man to just come hang out with him whenever he can fit it into his schedule. And this is, this is a big problem facing the capital C church today, the lack of desire to surrender fully to Jesus because it's so hard. And, and many churches today, sadly, are nurturing that lack of desire. And this is part of the reason why 70% of Wake County doesn't know Jesus. You know, we can't expect others to surrender until and unless we do it first and we do it right. Because without surrendering to Jesus, I don't have a testimony. And without a testimony that is centered on him, I have nothing to offer someone that would encourage them to love God, love people, and help us to make disciples. So you can't go to Mexico City to serve regretting the fact that you have to cancel your Netflix account first. You can't know what amazing things God has for you until you lay every distraction at his feet. What he begins to do in that moment is a miracle. And I'm here to tell you that firsthand. So we pick it up in verse 23. Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So Jesus and the disciples are watching this young man walk away. And in fairness, I think we ought to be clear, Jesus has in this interaction, he has certainly sown a seed or two. And it could be that, that this young man goes home, looks at all the stuff, and he does decide to get rid of it all. Maybe he becomes a devout follower of Jesus Christ. Maybe he sensed how Jesus was in fact full of love for him, and that leads to a change of heart. Listen, you know, it, it took me 10 years, 10 years, 
from the day of my last drink to the day that I recommitted my life to Jesus Christ and surrendered. And that was one very tough, ugly slog. But God. And I shared this the other night on Thursday night with the folks at One Step. This is from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Pure blessing here. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Jesus from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. So the terms of your surrender are non-negotiable because Jesus loves you too much to let you waste your time trying. His grace is the only hope we have. And so Jesus goes on, he tells the disciples that it's tough, it's tough for a rich person to get into heaven. It's like trying to thread a needle with a camel. And this, it shocks the disciples because back in those days it was widely held that if you were rich, God must love you a little bit more than everybody else. And conversely, Jesus is not condemning rich people. He's not claiming that being wealthy in and of itself is a sin. But these worldly things, you know, money and fame and sex and fancy titles at work and success, things that we love to chase after can also become things that just like with this rich young ruler, minimize the importance of living a life that is guided by God's will. Because you put something ahead of the Lord your God. You have these idols that do nothing to feed your desire to spend eternity with Jesus. So this is a profound moment for these disciples because Jesus has just turned their perception of worldly wealth upside down. Thankfully, Peter, Peter is there to say something both profound and awkward because this is what Peter does. In verse 27, it says, Then Peter said in reply to Jesus, See, we have left everything. We've left everything and followed you. And then he, and then he shoots himself in the foot. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children, for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last First. And, you know, Peter, you just got to laugh at Peter. Lord, look at us. We have surrendered everything to you. Hallelujah. So what's in it for me? And we know that Jesus is pretty good at practicing patience with Peter, so he appears to let the, the what's in it for me comment slide. Instead, he goes on to share the amazing promises extended to those of us who surrender all and follow faithfully. For the apostles, the promise is a little bit different. You know, their calling is going to lead to a higher honor in heaven. They're going to be seated on 12 thrones. They're going to ultimately have some role in, in future judgment. But in verse 29, Jesus does speak directly to you and me. Jesus is not expecting you to cut yourself off from everybody that you love. He just wants us to know that inheriting eternal life requires us to make him and keep him the main thing the center, the guiding light, the source of our comfort and peace and wisdom. And it isn't easy. It's not easy. But neither was hanging on a cross. And again, Jesus tends to take us out of our comfort zones. You know, there was a time in my life when there was no way, no way I could have ever seen myself doing the things that God has allowed me to do over the last 14, 15 years. 
but he showed me that living for myself brought me no joy, none. So when I surrendered, he changed everything. You know, Pastor Zeb touched on this a little bit last week. You know, when you surrender, for example, the way Peter and the apostles surrendered, Jesus will, in fact, open doors to things that you never imagined yourself doing, such as going to Mexico City or some other far-flung place to share the gospel, or being a part of a team that goes out and plants a church somewhere here in the Triangle, or closer to home even. If, if surrendering moves you from your seat to volunteering in childcare, or checking in guests out here on Main Street, or starting or joining a life group, consider yourself sent. That's all, those are all beautiful things, especially if you're not doing them now. Or how about this? Just sitting with someone who doesn't know Jesus and telling them just how amazing life gets with him as your savior. You know, it's, it's in our nature as Christians to live with the hopeful expectation of eternal life, and that's a good way to live. With that, though, as we pursue this new mission, I think it's a good idea to at times do like the rich young ruler and ask Jesus, Lord, what do I lack? And when he makes clear to you whatever that thing may be, don't walk off sad and sorrowful. Draw closer to him and surrender more. Surrender every day. You know, the word encourages us. Take up your cross and follow him, and you'll experience a deeper joy than anything this world or anything that you own could ever offer. And then the ways that he will use you will absolutely change the course of your life. Amen? And so, Father God, I pray, Lord, that through the perfect truth of your word here today, again, we as a church body may be emboldened to follow you closer, to surrender to you more deeply, that again, that we might be the light that you use in this ever-darkening world. Help us, Lord, to share this, this simple but perfect message that we are to go forth, love you, love people, and through that faithful commitment, make disciples. And Father God, I pray if there is anyone here today who is curious about surrendering, who hasn't surrendered, who wants to know more about surrendering, I'll be down here in the front, Lord. There'll be a pastor out in the circle outside the worship center, Lord. Give us the opportunity to speak into that, that fear, to answer those questions, and to again lead another one into your light. We love you, Lord God, and we lift this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.